Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Dr. Joan Ifland is a leading expert in addiction to processed foods and the lead author editor of the textbook Processed Food Addiction, Foundations, Assessment, and Recovery. She's been selected for expertise by Oprah Winfrey Network, Martha Stewart, Wedding Magazine, Fortune Magazine, and U.S. News and World Report. Dr. Ifland is a scientist, but also holds an MBA from Stanford. In a breakthrough to understanding the source of obesity, she describes the role of the tobacco industry in taking control of processed foods and spreading processed food addiction. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, Dr. Ifland, really pleasure to have you here. Um, and the first question I have for you is, how did you become so interested in this topic? Well, I grew up in a violent household. My parents were emotionally unstable and, um, you know, the belt would come out and it was a terrifying household to grow up in. I had my own kids and I was determined not to create that household, but occasionally I would just fly into a rage. So I started doing things, personal therapy and a women's healing group and 12-step groups to try to get that raging to stop. And I see, fortunately, I also had a yo-yo dieting problem because um, at the end of 1995, I realized that I couldn't uh, starve myself anymore. I just didn't have the willpower. And at the same time, somebody in a personality group heard the sugar driving my rage. And she encouraged me to go to a, a, a yet another 12-step group, Food Addicts in Recovery, which I did. So I eliminated sugars and flowers on January 1st, 1996. And within four days, you know, the miracles were absolutely rolling in. Cravings stopped. I'd had cravings since I was a small child. I didn't know they could stop, but I stopped thinking about food. The bloating stopped. The brain fog lifted. The cravings stopped. Uh, and by the end of the week, even though I was eating a lot of food, I just I couldn't imagine I'd lose any weight. I'd lost two pounds. And then the allergies got better. And then the, the lifelong sinus infection cleared up. And I thought, wow, but I had found the support group for this. So in the third week, when I realized I hadn't yelled at anybody in three weeks, I was just floored. And I went to my support group and that weekend, I didn't have the internet. I couldn't just run over and start doing research. And they said, yeah, yeah, people do become less irritable. And I thought, dang, you know, just dang. I wanted in that moment for everybody on the planet to know that these processed foods have a profound impact on personality as well as mental health, as well as physical health, 
behavioral health, the ability to take care of yourself. And now, fast forward to 26 years, I have earned a PhD in addictive nutrition. As you mentioned, I took out three years full-time to research and write the the textbook and edit. And now um, I have founded an online recovery community. So I'm in it to win it. I'm just like, I'm going to help everybody I possibly can get off these horrible, I mean, shockingly damaging processed foods. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're, you're truly changing lives. Um, I find it so interesting that that person in the initial support group said they thought the, the sugar was driving some of your, your anger. What, why do you think they had that perspective? Well, because it's true. She had a similar experience. She was also in the, the food support group. And um, the, the, what happens when you eat processed foods is that they're like any drug, they are drugs. Uh, they're, they're creating this surge in dopamine, the, the pleasurable feeling. And the, the brain is compensating by increasing stress increasing uh, adrenaline so you ha- so now you're walking around all the time angry because that's what adrenaline does or afraid you know the fear of flight thing so in addition to that processed foods uh, dysregulate blood glucose so you're you're experiencing these terrible these painful distressing drops sudden drops in blood glucose and that could also send people into rage, hypoglycemia, rage, anxiety, irrational fear. Uh, there's a whole personality that goes on with that. It's totally artificial. There's nothing to be afraid of. And there's nothing to be angry about. But people have the experience because of the adrenaline and the unstable uh, blood sugar. And they, the brain has a very hard time not seeing it. So the brain has a hard time seeing it. In other words, the brains don't let people know that something irrational is going on. It's kind of a protective mechanism of the brain. But people, like I lived with it my whole life. My parents were that way. My older sister was that way. Um, and you, you just never knew when you were going to be hit or yelled at or ridiculed or demeaned or criticized. And it was all artificial. I was fine. I was great. I was a great little kid. And because my family of origin was eating these substances, they couldn't see it. And they couldn't see it in themselves. It's very, very, very sad. Very sad. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. And, and why do you think people don't traditionally use the, the word addiction when it comes to food? Um, and why are they reticent to call it an addiction? Because of the tobacco addiction model. It's a business model. The tobacco companies bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in the space of three years in the 1980s when a very cheap sweetener came on the market, high fructose corn syrup, and our freaking government was promoting the addictive substances instead of fighting the addiction merchants. 
And the, the tobacco executive said, oh, let's jump for joy and go buy the processed food industry because we know how to addict people to processed foods. Well, by then, they had also a tremendous amount of experience in manipulating media, dominating media, buying so much advertising that media would just toe the line. So um, here's the parallel. So these, these people, this kind of person was able to take a deadly, lethal, horrible, destructive cigarette and persuade people that it was sexy and rebellious and sophisticated and modern. And even your doctor was smoking them. So these are the same people who took these horrible processed foods, particularly high fructose corn syrup, and it made them fun. And you were just the the delightful person if you were drinking it and eating it. And they went and persuaded employers what a great gift it is to make these foods available for free to your employees. it's, It's a business model. And it is, I call it the five A's of the addiction business model. Um, you hide the addictive substances in the product. So they hid extra nicotine in the cigarettes. When they came over to process foods, they hired this monstrous person, Howard Moskowitz, Harvard PhD in experimental psychology of marketing. He's the one who figured out how to hide uh, a maximum amount of sugar, fat, salt in processed foods. So before he got a hold of pasta sauce, for example, it didn't have, you know, a quarter cup of sugar in it. But once he had reformulated it to make it addictive, it had all this sugar in it. And then all the pasta sauce makers had to put sugar in because uh, otherwise the uh, addicted person would then just choose the pasta sauce with the sugar. So that's the first A is addictive product formulation. The second A is advertising. So in, you, you take the person's perception of the product and you make it, oh, this is something pleasurable, fun. You definitely hide with everything you've got that this is going to addict you and eventually kill you and make you totally miserable in between. So these are the advertisers, and that's the messaging. The next A is affordable. You've got to be able to buy the product often enough to train the reward centers in the brain to get high off of it. So with cigarettes, the big why were two-thirds of American adults addicted to cigarettes is because the rolling machine the cigarette rolling machine made the price of cigarettes low enough that you could buy them often enough to become addicted to them. Before that, they were hand rolled in cigarette factories. The same thing happened with processed foods. A high fructose corn syrup came on the market, very, very, very cheap. And it it took control of the sweetener market away from the sugar cartel in Florida and it spread it out. So then the tobacco executives were comfortable that they had a cheap enough sweetener to addict people. And then you have uh, availability. So you know that the tobacco industry was being required to remove cigarette vending machines. Well, they just, they took out those cigarette vending machines and they put in snack and soda machines. 
and they were able to maintain their addictive market. And then the last one is young age, age of onset. And they were prevented from marketing cigarettes to 10-year-old boys through the Joe Camel cartoon campaign that that got shut down. Oh, but oh my goodness, they could market processed foods through the cartoons uh, as much as they wanted. And so you see the, the number of Saturday morning cartoons, one morning, the number of cartoon commercials for processed foods, highly addictive processed foods. Rats will choose sugar and saccharin over cocaine and heroin, highly addictive substances. The number of commercials goes from about 150 already up to 550 within seven years. So it only takes five commercials to persuade a, a toddler to choose a product. And there they are getting 500 in one Saturday morning. And then Nickelodeon carried those commercials to 65 million American households. And within 10 years, the obesity rate among children had gone up by 50%, from 10% of children to 15% of children. So that's what happened. A lot of people ask me about how to make liver more tasteful and how to cook it or incorporate other organ meats on carnivore. Optimal Carnivore can help you do just that with their grass-fed organ complex. It was created by carnivores for carnivores. They start by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, gently freeze-drying the organs and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. Just six of these capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat. I personally take these every single day, as does my wife. Even though we both eat liver and other organ meats, our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal. And this unique blend has nine different organs, including beef liver, brain, thymus, kidney, spleen, etc. And I think it's great to get a daily dose of these organs when you can. So it covers all your bases, whether you're at home or traveling. What's also cool is they plant a tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So visit www.optimalcarnivore.com slash carnivorecast and use the code carnivore10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Thanks and back to the show. So interesting. And how do you see this changing? Like, and who, who's responsible for changing it? Okay. Well, we know at this point uh, that we are living in the United States and other countries to unregulated capitalism. It's the most destructive economic system you can possibly imagine. So these corporations are allowed to prey on us. They're allowed to addict our brains. They're allowed to hire very, very well-paid scientists to make the products addicted. Um, and they do. So we are not, and, and the government is there to protect industry. Anybody now at this point who thinks the government is there to protect the general population, just get over it. It's not true anymore. So how is this going to come down? Well, I'll tell you how I am working on it. Uh, I, I, was, I, I graduated college in 1974. I'm 70 years old now. And at that time, everybody wanted to be a lawyer. We had the civil rights movement. We had the Vietnam War movement. Everybody wanted to be a lawyer. They all went to law school. Law schools were stuffed with 
students, they all graduated and there weren't enough jobs. So these lawyers got to work. They started their own firms and they went around advising people about their rights to sue. And they, we became a litigious society. Everybody wanted to sue. And the courts got backed up. Now it's okay. You go to arbitration. But they, because there were so many of these well-trained, well-intentioned people around, the whole culture ended up changing. So here's my idea. I am training uh, recovery advocates, food addiction recovery advocates. And it's a beautiful training. People get control of their own food through the training. It's, it's people learn how to use their own stories to connect with other people. It's soaked in science and compassion. And when you can explain to somebody why it's not their fault, why the government just stood by while these corporations addicted us, why these really experienced addictionists, in other words, the tobacco executives, uh, why did our government fight them on tobacco and then just stand by while they switched the addiction over to processed foods? It's not your fault. So we train in what happened with the tobacco industry, creating big food addiction. We train in the science. What, what's an addicted brain doing? And how do you get it to stop doing that? We train in deep compassion. And this is just so painful. And people are being told to blame themselves. It was right after the, the processed food industry started putting, high fructose corn syrup is incredibly fattening. It converts to fat really efficiently. And this is why uh, there's so much obesity around the world. It's high fructose corn syrup. And then the addiction for fat has been developed, the addiction for dairy, uh, very salty foods, caffeine, throw it in. So um, we are training people. This is how it's going to change. Our governments will not help us. The lobbyists are too powerful. But uh, I want everybody at some point to know uh, a food addiction recovery advocate. And we're turning that, and we're giving them jobs. So we have an online recovery community, very, very tender, very compassionate, very understanding and very smart because you know, we're soaked in the science. When we suggest something to a member, it's because there's research behind it. So it's a singular community in that it's, it's, it's built from science and it's run on compassion. That's, that's my only hope, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you're certainly making a massive change and um, I, I had, a, I was also wondering, you know, you've worked with so many people, you've helped so many people overcome food addiction. What are some of the, the things you've seen, some of the stories, some of the impacts it's had? Well, this is going to surprise you, but um, what is, of course, given my personal history, what's most near and dear to me is the impact on personality. And at the core of that is whether you like yourself. So somebody comes into the Addiction Reset community, the ARC, they're, they're usually just packed with self-blame, self-hatred, self-stigmatization, self-loathing, um, 
And the process by which we show them that they are absolutely incredible, they never quit, they were determined, they kept looking until they found a safe place in which to heal. These are the stories that really move me. And gradually, because we're, the way we work is we're focused on people's strengths. And so somebody might share that they've had a lapse. And with our first thing is, yes, it's painful. I'm sorry about the pain. But here are all the things that you did right. And here's all the, all the barriers that you are fighting against. So in terms of stories, it's the people, the most moving to me are the people who um, learn that they're really spectacular and that they're very lovable. And they, then they start to like themselves because we are modeling, we're setting the example of liking them. And then there are others, there's other just amazing stories. We have people who come in, we've had one person come in whose doctors told her that she would not live um, due to a, a condition in one of her organs. Eh, our numbers are improving. My own stories, you know, I'd, I've been told I, I would have asthma for my whole life, presumably from childhood trauma. My asthma is breaking up now. I'm 70 years old, but I never gave up. I needed to be in a very deeply compassionate community that would hear me out for the things that happened in my childhood. Why did I close up? And it, why is it now safe, for finally, after 70 years, for me to open up? So it, there's nothing, unless it's been surgically removed, or you've lost it in an accident, or it's really gone, you know, like cartilage, a process foods attack cartilage, it's really gone. Uh, it'll come back because process foods attack cell function in eight ways. So once you relieve the cells of that burden, anything that's not going well is going to come back. And, and process foods create very um, destructive uh, neurological patterns in the brain. You take those processed foods off and you get that person immersed among people who are really kind. Uh, those, those thought patterns go back to normal. So whether it's somebody coming in with depression and having the depression lift, somebody who's been told that their genetics are such that they're going to be depressed, I love it when people say, and I stayed calm in the situation. The release from anxiety is just uh, so beautiful. So uh, they're all the mental, emotional, emotional, depression, irritability, anxiety, and shame. And then because blood flow is restored to that frontal lobe, all these things like, oh, well, you're going to have attention deficit for the rest of your life. No. Well, you're losing your memory. It's not going to come back. That's not true. Well, you have poor impulse control, uh, you know, work your childhood issues. Now, poor impulse control comes from the straight from the addiction. Well, you have a learning disability and you'll have it for life and take these medications. No, nope, that goes away too. So people, uh, you know, one of my big issues is I was told as a child that I was stupid. Well, I was brain fogged. You know, the very people who were calling me stupid were giving me substances to create brain fog. 
because these substances are inflammatory. They do also inflame the brain. And then the brain can't think. It feels like brain fog. Well, I would tell you, this is just so awful, but it's so beautiful at the same time. I had a concussion two years ago, and as a result, I had to get a neurological evaluation. And I find I found out I have a genius level IQ. Wow. There's my parents telling me I'm stupid. I'm slow, you know, slow, but she gets there. Uh, and there I am walking around with this genius level IQ, which nobody could see. So in the arc, we are showing people these things that just aren't true. And Scott, I'm sure you hear these stories all the time. Yeah, it's amazing that people on my show, uh, people often ask me, like, what are the what are the most amazing stories or most memorable guests? And really, some of these people overcoming decades of major depression or anxiety um, or all types of psychological ailments, it, it continues to baffle me. Well, there's it's it's grounded in physical changes, processed foods. They actually uh, wear out the feel-good pathways in the brain. And this is the same with any addiction. So any addiction will end up with depression, anxiety, because you can't see the goodness in the world. You can't experience pleasure because that part of the brain has been worn out. When you take out the addictive substances, as long as you don't transfer the addiction, those pathways start working again. The receptors open up again, and there's communication between the cells. It's all so explainable. The three years that I spent full-time writing that textbook and editing it, I looked at, I think, 8,000 studies between 2014 and 2018. Even today, I do a, a new workshop for my community every week. There's more science on this just pouring out. And you really see the failure of media, just abject failure, utter failure of media, because they're not bringing these uh, findings to the public. It's criminal. I mean, it's just criminal. So, yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason. If you, if you are listening to Scott's show and you have depression or you have irritability or you have anxiety or you have shame, don't let anybody tell you that that's genetic. That's substances hidden in your food or substances being presented to you as if they were food. They're not. They're depressing drugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, and Dr. Ifland, are you, are you hopeful for the future? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you are, but do you think do you think the narrative is improving? Do you think people are becoming more aware? Yes, yes. I I would just, if you don't mind, I'd just give a little shout of gratitude out to U.S. News and World Report. Um, they're publishing me regularly now in a blog, uh, but we've we've done three, and I'll think of something to propose to them for the next one. That's great. Uh, yeah, Oprah Winfrey, some years ago, Oprah Winfrey had me on the Book of John Gray show uh, because uh, John Gray's health coach recognized the processed food addiction in him. And, um, you yeah, know, the, the New York Times had, a, had an article about food addiction and then, then an article with really dumb advice, but that's okay. 
You know, the textbook, this is shocking. The text, it's an expensive book, not like, I mean, it's, I think the paperback's $42. That's an expensive book. It is selling in the top one half of 1% of Amazon books. That's amazing. Yeah. And I I see it has five-star reviews. It's doing really well. So do I have hope? Um, Yes, really. I have hope because of people like you, Scott, who want to get the word out. There are lots of communication channels that exist today. Of course, it didn't exist during tobacco. It took 45 years between the Surgeon General's announcement, conclusion that tobacco causes cancer. That announcement was like 1964. It wasn't until the early 2000s that Ted Kennedy got some anti-smoking legislation through Congress. And this industry is, I estimate, just really, really roughly, this is more like a personal guess. I estimate that the tobacco, that the processed food industry is 13 times bigger than tobacco. And it's a much more severe addiction because it starts you know, at conception, if the parents are eating processed foods, that very first DNA replication is of a, in an addictive pattern, and then it never lets up. It's not like a crack baby where the, the baby's born and then goes through withdrawal. Oh, no. The baby is born to the food-addicted mother and is put on uh, addictive baby formula, 52% sugar and corn syrup solids. And uh, then they're surrounded by addicted people. That means every cell in that baby's brain has developed in an addicted brain. We have never seen an addiction this severe. So where's the hope? I like your word, hope. The hope is in Zoom. Because this severity of addiction where you're going to be rewiring, retraining, re conditioning, um, reteaching 100 billion brain cells, you can do that on Zoom. It requires immersion. Uh, It requires a lot of exposure to what I call clean messaging, recovery messaging, healing messaging. The brain just helplessly just packs in messaging. Whatever it hears, it packs in as if it were true. So when you are all day long hearing, oh, that headache is caused by processed foods. Oh, that irritability. Oh, that raging. Oh, that um, irritable gut. Oh, that pancreatic inflammation. Oh, the fatty liver. Oh, asthma. Oh, my joint pain. When you hear that all day long, then it's easy to build resistance to temptation. But you, you've got to block out the messaging. Oh, this is so fun. Oh, this is so delicious. Oh, this is what we buy and give on these holidays. Oh, this is what we drink. And oh, this is healthy. No, none of that. You have to stop that messaging from sinking into your brain cells. And gradually, you can definitely do it. I see it every day. Uh, pack enough real truth into the brain. No, these are killing you, these substances. Then, then it's almost like a war. It's not almost like a war. It is a war in your head. 
between the addicted brain cells and the, the clean brain cells. So it's doable. And it's really thanks to Zoom. We're worldwide now. We, uh, we broadcast over Zoom 16 hours out of every 24, but around the clock. So there's like an hour or two break between blocks of programming. So, so it's very easy to get that level of clean messaging and build your brain's capacity to stay in the truth. Why, even if the addicted brain cells are being stimulated and they're putting out, oh, but that's yummy, but you deserve it, but it's your birthday. And, you know, that kind of addictive messaging that, and, and the food industry, that's why they spend so much money on advertising is because they, they can do that. It does work tragically well. So we're counter, we know exactly what we're counteracting. We know exactly what we're fighting against. And then we make it fun and easy. It's, it's really fun to, you know, wake up every morning and realize, wow, you know, I'm not worried about that. Wow, I was in the grocery store and I stayed calm. And wow, my kid normally would have had a meltdown, but they didn't. And it's, it's so fun. I mean, it's just so fun for people to find out that there is a way out. There is a way out. Do you mind if I just say one thing? It's a bit. Dark. Yeah, please. Yeah. Go ahead. If you were thinking about committing suicide, don't do it. It's artificial. These substances are just making your world dark. Come, you know, join us and you'll be amazed. It's an artificial despair. Yeah, that's a really good message. Um, and Joan, to, to redirect it to. Uh, um, a somewhat happier thought. I, I'm yeah. incredibly impressed by you. Um, oh, like, thank you, you. you mentioned your age, but you seem to be firing on all cylinders um, in terms of, you know, being in touch with popular news media outlets, pushing your books, pushing the courses, staying up with Zoom, helping so many people. Like just what piece of advice would you share for people who want to have your kind of vitality and drive and vigor um, for the rest of their lives. It, it comes down to one thing, and that is the people you're around. The most powerful system in the brain is called mirror neurons. It's your conformance drive. It's your drive to belong, your drive to fit in. It is the top, top, top of the survival mechanisms because I mean, we used to think, oh, you know, no, it's the quest for a food, water, shelter. No, it's the quest to be attached to people, to, to be important to somebody else. Because that's how you get the food, water, shelter. It's through other people. It's through your tribe. Whether you're a creationist or an evolutionist, you depended on your tribe to keep you alive. So, um if you are around people who are eating clean food, you will eat clean food. If you are around people who don't watch stressful media, uh, you won't watch it either. If you're around people who are doing constructive things with their brains, jigsaw puzzles and knitting and gardening and walking and being out in nature, you will do those two things, those things too. 
And if you're around people who don't do those things, you won't do them. Your brain will not let you. This, this conformance drive, the drive to belong, is the most powerful system in the brain. Of course, the food industry exploits this terribly. This is why they will spend millions of dollars on a uh, you know, Super Bowl commercial. It just works. You, you do copy images on the screen. The brain doesn't know that that's a screen. The frontal lobe knows, but the frontal lobe is only 2% of the brain. The other 98% of the brain is just pulling in every image, every message, every sound, every sight, every smell, every touch, and storing it so that when it gets into that situation again, it will know what to do. So um, I'm just getting started. <laughs> I say I'm 70 years old. I got a 30-year plan. Um, I am around people in the, uh, the addiction reset community who don't have substances in their bodies, and they are incredibly delightful to work with. If something comes up from their past that they're experiencing as fear or shame or anger, we go right out into the community and we rewire that. Uh, no, that was then. This is now. I am powerful. I am wonderful. I am delightful. And, um, you know, when I was a helpless child, I wasn't those things. I had to take whatever abuse was coming. So, of course, I... I'm afraid and I'm ashamed, but I'm an adult now. So when you have, when you're around people who are working that through every day, you don't tend to sit in fear or anger or shame uh, because you have a place to go and talk about it where people are going to be, mm-hmm, I have that too. And we, then we have exercises that you can do to plant new information in a cell that's holding a painful memory. Yeah. So I've got a 30 year plan. I'm just getting started. <laughs> I, uh, I've recovered from that concussion. I recovered from seizures that I uh, developed during my doctoral program. I'm recovered from a traumatic childhood and I'm recovered from an addiction. And dang, I know how to protect myself from uh, people who want to exploit me for profit. Um, not having any anything to do with it. I'd like to give your audience just one message, which I got this year. I turned 70 uh, last fall, and I finally got it into my head. So when I turned 50, I said to myself, wow, I'm so much healthier than I, when I was 40. When I turned 60, I said, wow, I'm so much healthier than when I was 50. And when I turned 70, I said, wow, I'm so much healthier than when I was 60. And then I just had that light bulb moment. Like, uh, people equate getting older with getting weaker and sick. That's not because you're getting older. It's because you have additional years of eating processed foods and watching stressful media. I'm not going to get sick. I just finally like, oh. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not doing anything that would make me sick. So I want everybody who's like, oh, this is a great success story. We get this all the time. Oh, I was in my 40s and I could barely walk upstairs because my joints hurt so much. I thought I'm getting old. 
And then I thought, I'm too young to be old. So all of that joint pain goes away. All the symptoms of quote unquote aging, that's not aging. That's the, that's the processed foods wearing you down deeper and deeper. So depression, we talked about depression lifting, that lifts, fatigue lifts, weight gain lifts, uh, joint pain lifts, uh, even things like eyesight. It's certainly all your blood pressure, blood glucose, and cholesterol numbers, all those things just get better. And this is another reason why people get better is because all of those medications have side effects. So as you're lifting your, as you're repairing your numbers from the ground up and your doctor is taking you off those medications, you're going to feel better because those medications are also, they have side effects. So you're not aging. Aging doesn't mean, aging is just getting older. You're suffering from the worsening effects of processed foods. Yeah, that's a great message. And Dr. Ifland, this has been tremendous, really fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, thank you to the audience for listening. And where can people find you? Where can people find out more about your work and become educated? So go to processedfoodaddiction.com and sign up for the free materials. I give a free public workshop once a month. Uh, we send out emails all the time. And if you are ready, you can go to Food Addiction Reset and join the ARC. Just join the ARC. It's $59 a month. And uh, there's no contract. So you can just get in there and test it out and enjoy it and just try to get used to this idea that kindness self-kindness is the pathway to control over your food. Great. Well, I'll certainly have links to both of those in the show notes. And thank you again very much for your time. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate you so much, Scott. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered? Or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.